100 episodes now. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. It's the a century of episode if each one was we've a reached, year. Yes, we've reached a centennial mark of episodes. Yep. I, it's 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 strange it wasn't really something that I ever thought we would get to because it just wasn't it was a very different world when we began this 4 years ago. Oh, completely. We had one show and we were watching it and talking about it. Decided, hey, let's uh, record it. Back then called In Discovery We Trust. Y- yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane that we've, uh, that we've come this far from just doing one, from one podcast. I, I, I wanted to double check to see when our first episode aired. And it was actually, I thought, I was like, could we be on the day? We're five days short of, the, of that. It was October 5th. 2017 oh, wow. October 5th 2017 was the first episode that we ever released wow four long years yeah uh, and maybe people don't know the story of where our name came from yeah do you know yes it was a very short-lived publicity slogan for discovery it was in discovery we trust and it sort of got dropped I, re- I remember it was a at the time I think it was around the time the trailer the first trailer came out like legit trailer where we actually saw footage and I th- I remember that I remember seeing that hashtag a lot at that time and we hadn't yet decided to do a podcast I, it didn't even enter my mind and um, when we did we didn't really spend a lot of time on names I think at one point I just said how about in discovery we trust that was the hashtag going around. Let's. Why don't we use that? And I don't recall much resistance. So. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Do you remember when you presented the idea of doing I a podcast? I believe we were out in our local square. Yep. And I think we were just talking about the show. We were. And I said, uh, I think, I believe I suggested that maybe we should do a podcast. Yeah, I don't. About it all the time anyway. I don't remember if the show had aired yet, because I know that when we, I, I recall when we started doing it, we had to kind of catch up because we. I think there were already three episodes that had been aired already. So, yeah, so we I remember had, doing two or three episodes in one night. Once. Yeah, we did one episode, I recall, and then we did. I think, we. I think we went backwards. I think we had done. We did the the then most recent episode, then we backtracked and did the first two. Because if you go back and look at our episodes, the first two, which is the Vulcan Hello and then Battle of the Binary Stars, those are one episode in our podcast. They're not separate. So I think we had done the latest and then we had sort of retroactively gone back and done the two before. So I think we did, I want to say we did Context is for Kings first. Then we did the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to do the next, the the then next one, shortly after that. So we were we were in this. I feel like in that week we may have done like four. We had recorded like within a week's time we had recorded like four episodes. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, back in my old apartment. Yeah, that was. I remember being exhausted after that. Yeah, that was a lot in a night. Yeah, but yeah, I remember you mentioning let's do a podcast, and it, again, it was just something I had never that I just I never thought about doing. And 
I had always wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't really know how to do it. I mean, I knew how to do, I knew how to record and all this stuff. I mean, that's what I, that's what I do for a living. But I, I knew nothing about actually getting a podcast up and running as far as creating, you know, the RSS feed and getting a site up. Like, I just didn't know any of that. Oh, right. So I had to quickly figure that out. And I think I just happened upon the uh, company, the, the podcast provider that we now use. I just sort of happened upon it. Didn't even, like, research it, nothing. I just thought, oh, they make this easy. I'll just use them. So Right. 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 And then I remember there was a little bit where I remember I, I set out to make sure we were ev- on every platform. We st- Yeah, we still are. And um, that took a little bit of research. It was, and, you know, it's, doing. It, it was an exciting time because Star Trek was coming back to TV mm-hmm. and all of these podcasts, you, we knew that all of these new podcasts were going to be cropping up because of this new show. Mm-hmm. And... So we were sort of there at the beginning, I think, of this new sort of renewed interest in Star Trek podcasting because of the new show. Yeah. Uh, we did the love of the shows and the, the franchise. I never would have thought four years after that that we'd be on our 100th episode. And, I mean, if you think about it, since then, two new Trek shows have broadcast, been broadcast and more are coming. We never would have thought that at the time, right? And one of the things I really remember is that, again, the podcast was originally called In In Discovery We Trust because that was the only show that was on at the time. And we stayed very... Gravitate, we gravitated to Discovery because that was the new show, but we didn't have like... A, and I think the, the approach back then was let's let's only mention the past shows where it's relevant as pertains to discovery so we we but then we were like finding but we realized we wanted to talk more we wanted to get more broad and talk about other ones so um but then i think when picard came my recollection when picard came was that we i then created a separate podcast for picard which was called we and it's still in the episode and i We've since um, changed it. But in the episode, the name of that podcast was called The Best of Both Worlds, a Star Trek Picard podcast. And you say that in that first episode. It's still in there. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good name. So then when we ended up, when it was clear at that time that Trek was going to, there was going to be more Trek beyond Discovery. And it yeah. wouldn't have made sense of, for us to do multiple podcasts. I think we that's when we just sort of decided, let's just call this, let's just broaden this podcast out and make it a more general interest Trek podcast. So that's how we ended cool. up with, so we just took a, you know, we just replaced Discovery with with uh, Star Trek. So Yeah, and I think yeah. by that time we didn't really trust Discovery, so it's a good change. <laughs> that's true, um, actually. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And it was funny because as the new shows came, I felt as if it would have felt strange to not do them. Right. It would have been strange to only do Discovery. Well, right. I mean, especially um, especially now, considering how we feel about Discovery. And um, obviously today we're here to talk about the latest episode of Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. So we would have, I think, robbed our audience of what we thought of these 
new shows. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And it probably would have become unpleasant for us if we had stayed with one show that we started to not really love. Oh, totally. Absolutely. One of the most interesting things I think of our early days, and this probably is a credit to your Twitter presence, because we got into this not expecting to reach the heights of podcasting fame mm-hmm. at all. Right. Such as they are, which are, believe me, I understand they're very low on the level of importance. Right. But right. the fact that at a point, was it the was it a head writer or producer of the show was clearly listening to our podcast in yes. depth because yes. they commented on specific there w- takes that we had. Yeah. Yeah. And retweeted our, our podcast, which was you a very strange thing to you imagine are referring that someone to, involved in the show was listening. You and, are referring to the uh, then producer, Ted Sullivan. Yes. Who only worked on the show, I believe, the first season. He's I forget the show he's doing now. But um, he was very active. I actually remember back then, this was like in late October, I think. I was going to the airport because I was going out of town. And um, this was in, I actually remember the exact episode that was coming up. And I remember the take of ours that he said where we were right. Yeah. So we, I was heading to the airport and I was just checking my Twitter feed as I was in the backseat of this Uber. And we were a couple of days away from the episode airing, which was at that time, it was magic to make the sanest man go mad. That was the episode where Discovery, the time loop episode. And um, Ted Sullivan, I forget, I don't know who he was talking to, but he actually got into an argument with somebody on, on one of our posts. Yeah. And I'm just reading this like as I'm just like, you know, and I think I like, you know, maybe posted something on Twitter or Facebook later. I'm just like, you know, when the executive producer of a show is arguing with somebody in like the comments of your uh, of your tweet. It was it was bizarre. I think I have to believe that it was because this was all still again, Trek's presence on TV back then was still new. Right. It had only been there for a couple weeks and it was after a 12 year hiatus. And you got to recall. Remember that. When Enterprise ended in 2005, social media was not really a thing. So this was, social media came in the years that Trek and that sort of, those years when Trek was not on the air. So being able to do what we were doing then was, it was still new, even though, you know, people have been doing it with like Game of Thrones and other shows around that time. It was new for Trek, really, to be doing that because I don't think the Abrams films really warranted a lot of, a lot of that. I mean, this was week. Right. This was week to week. So we got some, we got some participation from people uh, related to the show, which I thought was was uh, kind of cool. It and, and just more audience participation in general. It's I think it's died down now a lot now, only because it's just I feel like it's just now. It's just more. There's just more of it now. There's more There's more people yeah. now. So I believe so. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, we never thought we were going to get to the level of whatever the high part. And we never did. And right. that's why that was so surprising and just kind of cool that someone involved in the show was listening to what we were had to say. Right. Um, but it was... I think by now it sort of has settled that there are the 
you know, the podcast that have the access and everybody else, and we're just right. in the everybody else, no matter how early we were there for whatever reason. Yeah. Now we're just one of yes, however many, right? And even existing Trek podcasts at that time sort of readjusted to now incorporate the new Trek material. So, but the, yeah, that was fun because we were just, we were discovering how to do it and just doing it as we went along with no intention of like it becoming huge. And I mean, it hasn't become huge, but, um, no, we, I, no. yeah, we did have that one month where I think, what did we have? Something like 10,000 downloads in a month. Yeah. That was the highest best we ever did. It's, it is interesting for me to go back and listen to those early episodes because if, as you recall, I mean, we used to literally just sit there in a room and use the same microphone. Yes. Um, it wasn't exactly that great, the best way to do that. But, no, but apparently we were saying good things because people listened. Right, right. So like, that's uh, the most important thing. You got to have something to say. Right. That's I forgot that we, I forgot that we, it, you know, I forgot that we used to record it in the same room because ever since COVID, we started doing it this way. Yes. And we've only done it in person maybe twice since then. I think so. I think we I mean, did it's one. It's because we see each other a lot in person. Right. We just saw a new major film release two nights ago together, but mm -hmm. we just do this from a couple of miles away. Right. But through. It's more convenient internet. this way, I think. Yeah, I think it's. We've realized it's easier to get good sound till tonight. Ugh. Yeah, please don't go there. Um, but 100 episodes and I guess here's to potentially a hundred more. So yes, yeah, a hundred more yeah. and then a hundred after that. Sorry, and then we'll be in our nursing homes, uh, you know, with oh, our yeah. microphone on our adjustable bed. Yeah. With the morphine drip. Oh my God. <laughs> um, talking about. Gene Roddenberry the fourth. <laughs> so, Another title that would work perfectly in the original series. Yes. I mean, well, you also had Iborg from the next gen. Mm. Um, so, but this was sort of this season's version of that holodeck episode from last year when they, I think, spoofed the movies. But like this one was to a lesser extent. This one was actually... Based on the trailers that we got for it, I thought it was just going to be Easter eggs left and right, and it was actually less Easter eggy than I thought it was going to be, than it ended up being. Yeah, that's fair. And they were more scenarios than little sight gags. Right. Which right. I think was probably more effective. But uh, as far as entertainment value, I much preferred last season's holodeck episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... So this one, but I did enjoy this one. Um, I think it was definitely an improvement over last week's because I like what it ended up being. I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't just an episode that was played for laughs, sort of like the the holodeck episode was. Like there was an, there was actually something strange afoot here, right? Yes. Um, and it brought the bridge crew and the lower decks crew closer together. Much like the um, Starfleet Party episode. Absolutely. And I think, and so for this one, I don't really, normally I have I have it 
divided up by different plots and stuff. But I don't have that for this one because everyone was participating in the same thing. So what I ended up doing was I just kind of broke it up by each person's own kind of holodeck simulation. Um, okay. And, but the lower deckers and the bridge officers, I mean, they're participating in the same, in the same plot line. Just from, I mean, albeit from different points of view, but yeah. So, but. Absolutely. And interestingly, they break up the lower decks crew into their own, but then the bridge crew is together in there. Right. Yeah, that which I thought was kind of, yeah, an interesting way of doing it. But sort of a flip. So, what are your um, what are your kind of high level feelings about about this one? I think it was an enjoyable episode where certainly the the uh, callbacks to great moments in the franchise were used appropriately i guess right um i don't think any of them were really used to great humor no absolutely they were just not sort of used right and i i liked the flipping of the roles to get a little more respect for the lower decks and also again it's that repeated theme of Although you are the lower decks and we are the bridge crew, right. we're all the lower decks of Starfleet because we're a California-class ship, and I guess those are garbage right. according to Starfleet. So, so there's that. And, and then also, I, I think um, having it be sort of a plot to uncover in a way was kind of fun. I mm-hmm. did think that the way they resolved it was didn't really work for me. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. Right. So the idea behind this is that a Starfleet kind of quote-unquote drill instructor comes aboard the Cerritos and runs them through a series of simulations to get a sense of how they are as a, you know, how they react to all of these various situations. And it began, so they said, because they left the lower deckers on the outside on one of these relay stations and took off without them. Which was a pretty funny gag, I think, in the beginning. I got a, I got a huge laugh out of that one. Me too. Yeah. It was, well, the comic timing was but good. The Cerritos warps away because they receive a distress call. And I got a huge laugh out of this one too. They were saying they were getting a distress call from another, from another vessel that's stuck inside of a temporal anomaly. And they were getting the distress call multiple times, which would make sense. Because if, that, if you were like in a repeating time loop, that's what would happen. I thought to myself... If the Enterprise in cause and effect was sending out a distress call each time, that's exactly what the receiving ship would see. They'd be getting multiple, they'd be getting the same call multiple times, essentially, right? And so, it did seem as if Captain Freeman had experienced this many times. Right. Because she quickly just said, oh, yeah, multiple distress signals. That's what it is. Let's go. Right. So it seemed like that, again, that also was kind of pointing out one of the, uh, as Lower Decks does very well, points out the absurdities or even makes you question certain these certain tropes in Trek that you don't ever consider like how it affects how it may affect somebody else like who's on the outside just sort of looking in because you think to yourself when you have these episodes where again Kirk encounters Apollo or the Enterprise is caught in a 
repeating time loop or, you know, one of your favorites, Abraham Lincoln in space. You can't help but wonder, like, is this only happening to this crew? Or whichever crew that that show happens to be focusing on. And as yes. Lower Decks does, they it seems like it's common. Yes, which I love. Because it makes so much sense that by this point in Starfleet, uh, there would be very little that could surprise them, it seems. Right. I right. mean, Q was probably the perfect addition to Next Generation because he, in a way, was completely surprising. Although, I could see Kirk facing someone like Q for one episode. I mean, he faced Trelane in Squire of Gothos, who was extremely Q-like. I think there was even a novel that was written that says he was a Q. But, yeah. Um, but of the... So, Mariner, of course, goes through multiple simulations. Her first one being the Mirror Universe, which we finally get a glance. You and I talked about what would it have been like if the Lower Deckers actually went into the Mirror Universe. Particularly the TOS original... Uh, particularly the TOS Mirror Universe. And it was essentially everything I had hoped it would be when they went in there. Right. It was not... It was interesting because I felt disappointed for a bunch of these first um, tests because our character did not fare as well as I expected. And I'm glad I got an answer to that later. Right. But yes, it was very much. Yeah, because you, you would think that Mariner would very easily be able to carry herself in the mirror universe. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if her character was had gone through the mirror universe already. But you can't help but, you know, tell yourself, no, she'd be fine. And she was confident that she would be fine going in there. Yeah, she did okay for her first two encounters. Right. I mean, the fight that she has with Shaxx I thought was great because they just get into a fight and they're like, okay, thanks, bye. Like, it's, <laughs> yes. to- like it's totally fine. Like, you're totally normal. Yeah, Mistake even said something. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Which is certainly how it would be in the mirror universe. Exactly, because we see we see them we see those crewmembers fight with each other all the time to rank up, and in Mariner's case, they're just fighting because that's what you do here. There's really no yeah. rhyme or reason to it. We just fight. Yeah, I guess stay sharp. Yeah. She then winds up in the old west, which I thought was kind of funny. But that was uh, funny because again, another classic original series yeah. bit of silliness. We've got a bunch of cowboy sets. Right. Let's and I will say that they they do look exactly as they do on the original series. Yeah, which the was lighting on a perfect. backdrop yep. for the sky. And that they were only faca- building facades that were obvious. They weren't like actual buildings. What did you think of the... So I've been obviously cruising the Trek Twitter the last couple of days to see what people think. What did you think of the Naked Time one? Uh. <laughs> I mean, very literal, obviously. That's an episode title. And the writing on the walls was from the was from that episode. Yeah, Love yeah. No, it was... I mean... <laughs> but the thing is, Naked Time sense. wasn't... The thing is, Naked... I mean, the episode's the Naked Time? G-rated version. Right. The, exactly. Really happening. Because... Likely. I mean, they're hit by a virus that made them super horny right. and lost inhibition, so... Right, and to your point, this is sort of the R-rated version of that, right? I mean, I did yeah. get a huge laugh when she sees, like, half of them, the people that she works with naked, and she goes, oh, and she just sort of opens the airlock, and she goes, no, 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 just fail me, just fail me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to see her co-workers naked. It was interesting, it did start to set up this, um, 
the doctor and and Shax. Yeah. Which we saw later in the regular universe. Right. Maybe there's something there. Um some of the the haters uh, we haven't done a haters corner in a while actually but some of the haters have um, you know screenshotted the uh, moment where you see Boimler naked except with the little square there or like when uh, the was it was it the engineer I think I forget who was on top of um, it was the engineer I think who was on top saying like I don't know where you be- where you end and where I begin right oh yeah like screenshotting those moments and screenshotting those moments and saying, "Ugh, this is Star Trek now." It's totally out of context, right? Right, but the fact uh, I think they're they're whining about like Star Trek shouldn't go that far to to for that sort of thing. Like, oh, uh, it's too far, too far. I'm like, oh my god, people, just stop. Give me a break, please. We like we knew what Kirk was doing after the f- slow dissolve of the camera. Yeah. I don't even. Didn't see it. Thing is, with that, like, I don't even know where to begin because I, the, I could, if I, if I could take the time and I could find, just as absurd moments, throughout the franchise history, I mean, we could. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh man, you got me all on the. Page we didn't there. get a lot in the way of um, attendees. Tendi only got one, which was the. <laughs> uh, honoring the Klingon's wish to die and being yeah. killed in his own way, which yeah, is got paralyzed picking up a peanut, <laughs> right? Which is which was excellent. Which is funny because, like, you we've seen moments like that throughout the franchise where, like, a character is going need wants to die, but there's like that ethical debate about we need to honor their wishes on what their culture does and we can't interfere like but they turn that whole thing so like the basis of it makes sense in the universe but they just decided to turn it into something funny which i thought was which i just thought was great and they're saying i think it worked it did in the reality of this episode because as um the um as the pandronian Drill instructor uh, says later she made it so that the tests were almost impossible to pass. Mm-hmm. So it seems like perhaps Tendi was doing what she should, and it didn't work because it had been set up in such a way that she would fail. Because right. it seemed like everything she tried to do failed. Oh, absolutely. And then when he fell out of the, <laughs> that was also hilarious. Yeah, and the fact that they <laughs> did the opposite. Mm-hmm. Of pronouncing the time of death, they pronounce the time of life. The time of life, right? Exactly. That was really, really good. Rutherford, We're losing him. Rutherford, Rutherford, of course, gets thrown into the into familiar territory, the engineering room, during the uh, similar to the uh, Wrath of Khan, right? It's just it's a full on, um, you know, copy of what of Spock's death, even though it's not actually Spock's death, but it's the same different circumstances, but um. There wasn't, I mean, I would say, like, there wasn't a lot of humor in that moment. Like, he was trying to get in, and, you know, and obviously he ends up destroying the Enterprise. But... Yeah, kind the of thing funny was that he used his boots. Right. His hands to try to open it at the end. But I think, like, to your point, I was sort of oddly disappointed by that, too. 
Like, he couldn't... Yeah, like, why is Rutherford failing this? He shouldn't be failing this. What the fuck, right? Well, I think because... Yeah. I think it was all rigged. So, it, yeah, well, so yeah, it was, but I, we, I didn't know that yet. Gloves. If it wasn't rigged, he would have had gloves. Right. Well, I didn't, the thing is, I didn't know that yet. <laughs> right, me neither. So, yeah, do you feel right. the same as me? Like, yes, I want our lower decks to be really kicking ass here. Right, right. I think my, I mean, my favorite of all of them was Boimless because he he's going in this Borg ship and just needs to escape, which is easy. He does it immediately. He does it immediately, but he's not happy with the score, and he keeps going. He keeps going back to try to get a higher score, and I got a huge laugh. Like he keeps coming out. Like he. So the first time he just escapes, and that's that. The second time, he decides to grab a bunch of the Borg babies and rescue them, and then he just. But each and the score goes up a little bit. But every time you see him, he's coming out with more. <laughs> Like more more Borg baby strapped to his strapped to his back and like more Borg. He's like dragging corpses with him and everything like that. Yeah, because he has no idea what he's supposed to be. What else he's supposed to be doing? <laughs> yes. But this was so. There was a moment relate. So there was a moment in that uh, plot when they came back to it, where I actually had to pause it because I started laughing so hard. It was um, it was later when we find out that the whole thing was rigged. And everybody had failed, but they see that Boimler is actually still doing his simulation. So they like, hey, Boimler, are you there? And it cuts to him inside. It does like a smash cut to him. He's got like like 10 Borg babies like strapped to him. One One's like poking his cheek. He's got a bunch of them like um, very much like, uh, what's her name from The Walking Dead? Michonne. Remember when she used to walk with the, uh, when they first encounter her, she's like has those like oh, three yeah. zombies strapped and like, it was a very so when they just like when they cut to that I just could not I just completely lost it when it just showed him <laughs> with all of these little boar babies just adorable boar babies just like strapped to him. They were very very cute. When yeah, they were they were rendered. Which yeah. is I mean and you see them you see Borg infants when they first encounter the Borg in Q Who, then you see him again on Voyager. But it's not really something that they with the Borg have gone back to gone back to very much. But yeah, like there are Borg infants, yes, and yeah, yeah oh, they were oh. very cute. Another thing I'm very impressed with is the last time we saw him, I think, finish it, he somehow had gotten a shuttlecraft to come and pick him up, rather than taking the Borg escape pod. Right. Very right. impressive. <laughs> I can only imagine how he was managed to have that happen. When when you see him at one point carrying all those Borg infants, one of them is drooling. But it's drooling like a they're drooling like a green substance rather than like actual <laughs> saliva. Yeah, there was some just really good touches with that. But mm -hmm. he was striving, you know. Ironically, when you see who you're dealing with, he was striving for perfection, as yes. the Borg do in that simulation. And he got very close in a rigged. Yes. A rigged. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that one was that one was great. Like I got the I got the. The most laughs out of out of that one. Um, it really was good. And even how he said, like, "Oh, I've read everything there is. I've, I've studied everything there is to know about the Borg." Right. And he even told them the first time, "Oh no, go ahead, do your thing." Yep. And and he said, uh, "Yeah." And so I wasn't. Your... And I wasn't sure when we yeah. when I first watched it, but it turns out I was right. Alice Krieger, who played the Borg Queen in First Contact, and then in the final episode of Voyager, did come back to voice uh -huh. the Queen. Because there were moments where I thought, I don't know if it is her, like it kind of sounds like her, but there were moments where it didn't as much sound like her. But then I started thinking, well, it is 25 years later, voices change. It's probably her. And 
I went back and looked, and it actually was. Nice. Yeah. Great. So, but we find out when the... We, we do find out that the whole thing was rigged by this person, and so now they... Except the Wild West. Right. And now the Lower Deckers and the senior staff have to work together to, um, you know, figure this whole thing out. What did you think of the senior staff being in the lower deckers area? So like you I had really that great, yeah. I thought it was great when they how they first they were luxuriating in all the lack of stress and free time that they had, mm-hmm. right? Um, which sort of makes sense that sometimes it would be a lot easier, right? And then I also thought it was very funny when they were made to stack the crates, mm-hmm. and, and as it, things got worse and worse. In the ship as a whole, right? They they got more and more frustrated with their role, not knowing what was going on. I love the progression of, of right. incidents, right? Because they keep coming in. Like there's that one officer who comes in in the Robin Hood getup. Did Q come through here? Q? What? Like they're just getting fleeting glimpses yeah. as to what's going Magic on. Q on board? Forget I said anything. <laughs> right. And even though and like, M-Hadar. but the thing is like, even though I think from our from our lower deckers perspective, we we haven't gotten a lot of like that. They don't, I don't think they experience it much that way, but it was more about like, but that's what a lower decker would probably experience, right? Maybe not so much these ones, maybe just those that four, but yeah, that's probably what it would have been like for anybody on the ship who's a lower decker. That's what they would have, that's pretty much what they would have experienced. Yes. Yes. But um, it was also, it didn't occur to me, it wasn't until they got to the bunks that we really only see four members of the senior staff which line up with four members of the lower decks i mean there are the ancillary ones like we see the chief engineer we do see the counselor we do see um Kayshawn from time to time but the four mainstays of the senior staff line up with the four uh lower deckers which didn't again just didn't really occur to me until they were like in the appropriate bunk so i was like oh yeah that actually yeah they, that kind of lines up with all of them. Yeah. I mean, their, their roles are not the same. Right. They didn't have anyone from engineering there. Now, you said that you were not happy with the the way they solved this whole thing. Yeah. So, on first watch, it was fine. And then on second watch, I kind of thought, uh, and here are my notes here. Um Scaring the tester was a weird strategy. Intentionally flying your ship into danger does not make a very convincing case for your leadership. Mm. And I don't... If the idea was to... So they framed it as, we're going to show her what it's really like to be in danger. But they weren't doing anything. Right. If they had gone on a mission, so we're going to rescue these people and you're going to be so freaked out by it. That would have, I think, carried more weight than just we're going to fly into something dangerous for absolutely no reason, and we're right. going to fly even more, make it more even more dangerous. They could have just pulled out a phaser and threatened her with it. It would have been the same. It's interesting because when they did that on the Cerritos, Janeway did something very similar to a group of aliens on Voyager who were invading the ship. She flew them right into a because they couldn't withstand a certain type of radiation. I think so. She flew them right into a star. Saying, if you don't get off my ship, I'm going to destroy the ship. And yeah. So it, it reminded me of that. But of course, on Lower Decks, it's 
kind of sort of played more for laughs. Even though it's right. you know a little serious, but it's kind of more played humorously. Yes. And yeah. I did think also the the drill instructor's plot was or her 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 not her plot, but her plot right. was interesting because right. she she didn't want her program to be phased out. Right. So you needed someone to fail, so she rigged it so that she picked well, first she picked who what she thought would be the worst crew, and then she made her tests harder right. to guarantee that they would fail. Based off what thought, we saw in the teaser, yeah. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah aspect um but yes i would have liked it much better if they had done an actual mission so she would see here's the danger we put ourselves into do missions you can't even handle that that would again i i liked that we like in the episodes from the past few weeks we're getting serious dramatic moments i know that i've i keep saying this there could have been an episode of The Next Generation where you had a drill instructor come aboard and do all of this. Mm-hmm. And we certainly saw enough corrupt, high-ranking uh, right. Starfleet people that would have been appropriate for them to also try and... But, if I could have made the greatest crew in Starfleet fail, then my program right. would have went straight to the top. But obviously The Next Generation would have played this dramatically right where lower decks goes a little bit more of a humorous route and i know that i was saying this last week i don't know if this is a new thing or maybe it's just occurring to me now but i feel like that's that i feel like that's kind of the sweet spot of the show is that it's it does something it does a plot that we could see on the other shows but lower decks just leans into it being into the comedy genre whereas the other shows would do a more dramatic would do the dramatic take on it lower decks is not the humor is not the backbone of the lower decks episode the humor comes out of the situation right it's and and you know lower decks obviously has episodes that are written purely for laughs which is fine but i think that where the show really succeeds is when they do this type of thing when they actually do just a story and they take it and they let the comedy come out of the situation with their characters. Yes. And certainly they're building it for comedy, though. Right. Because I laugh when I watch Next Generation, but I'm the same way. Right. You know, they've got their jokes at Next Gen, but they're more like chuckly jokes. Like, I could see... Laughing. I could see this happening, like, say, with the Voyager crew. And one of them, like, maybe Harry Kim gets the Borg simulation. He would get he would be getting frustrated as to why he can't get a higher score. What am I doing wrong? And maybe I don't know if there would be character building there. Maybe it would be treated very seriously. And what the hell? He wouldn't have gone to the absurd lengths that Boimler <laughs> went to, right? Which and the Boimler stuff was just absolutely wonderful. I I loved that aspect of it so much because Boimler's like Boimler just does it so easily. But he can't figure out why. He's like, you know, he comes out, he goes, oh, yeah, surely I would have gotten a high score from this whole thing. But he doesn't. And he just keeps, again, okay, maybe I have to, like, I love the idea that he probably contemplated, like, okay, maybe I can get a higher score if I just rescue more babies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? And capture more prisoners. Right, exactly. Or, you know, (laughs) more to study. 
Right. More babies mean a, bringing up more babies bring a higher score. Mean a higher score. And it did go up a little bit. It did, but I love that that's yeah, sort of like did. the. Yeah, the you can tell that he thought he caught contem- points. What more babies are going to make me go up more points? Right. <laughs> right, like he clearly had a moment off screen where it occurred to him that I okay, I, I guess I just must have. I guess the secret to this is just bringing out bringing more babies with me. That was, it was well done. So uh, I think for me, yeah, for me, a good episode this week. I don't, uh, still not my favorite, but um, I do, I do like how it ended. I do like how, I do like where we ended up on this one because obviously, the threat is eliminated, and there are no consequences to that. But I do wonder, are there going to be consequences now? long term between like has the relationship between the senior staff and the lower deck has now changed now that the lower right. deck, now that the senior staff understands all of that it's a good point because i feel like we've seen some breakthroughs yeah four but they haven't really translated into any change over time right we've seen even the the starfleet party they seem to come together right. as that idea that we are the lower decks of all of starfleet we're in it together Right. Oh, it does seem now that we have two of these moments, maybe this will be a change going forward. Yeah. Maybe they'll have access to better food and more than one slice of pizza at a time. Yeah, because now that the lower deckers get a taste of what it is like being on the top, they obviously get access to the better replicators and this, that, and the other thing. And, and pesto. Pesto. And the senior staff gives them a replicator that has all of that that they can use, and they get very excited. And, yeah, that's where I begin to wonder. I mean, is are we seeing... Is the relationship between them going to change now? Of course, does that ultimately change the entire premise of the show? Because don't forget, the premise of the show is built on being on the lower decks. That's where a lot of the comedy came from. That they were sort of out of the loop in a way. So what does this all mean potentially for the future of the show? Are they going to ignore that aspect? Are they just maybe going to be less hard on them? You still got to be. You still have to be on the lower decks. I don't think we'll see them at a meeting with the senior staff. But yeah, it makes me wonder what the future for it brings. And it is also interesting since the the aspect that the bridge crew did not like about being lower decks was having all the information. Right. And as you mentioned, our crew seems to always have all the information. And often they're even on the away teams, at least some of them. Mm-hmm. So the main problem they had, aside from the replicator, there's not really a need to solve it for our crew. Right. So moving on to favorite quotes. I actually do have a favorite quote now. I didn't right. previously, but I do now. But let me hear yours first. Okay, so I have two. One is when Mariner and Captain Freeman find out about the uh, that the tests have been rigged, mm-hmm. um, and Mariner is relieved because she doesn't think she could have done so bad in the Wild West. Here's that that's the only one that was not rigged, and she says, "Horses love me. Shut up." <laughs> Um, 
I thought that was very good. And I believe that a lot of Mariner's lines are so funny just because Tani Newsome has such a um, history doing uh, improv groups and comedy for so long, stand-up, improv, mm. sketch comedy, that I think she just really elevates all of her lines. Yeah. And the other one is when they're, she's in the Mirror Universe and they're the I don't know, two brandos are walking and they're talking about how torturing makes them horny. Oh, yes. And then they torture more. And they said, I like the line that says, you could lose a whole day to that cycle <laughs> of, I guess, torturing, getting horny, and then torturing more to get rid of your horniness, but yep. maybe making you more horny. I'm going to go with, you must help me kill myself. I broke my back picking up a peanut. Very, yeah. very good choice. I laughed very loudly for that. Yeah. Because it really kind of elevates the absurdity, like, of a Klingon, right? Because they don't like to... They don't send out distress calls. They don't want medical help. So any injury just means, oh, just kill me. No matter how absurd the reason for this injury is, just kill me. Right. And if an injury means that I don't get to die in a glorious battle, then just kill me now. (laughs) Exactly. So you want to have an honorable death. And why did you die? Because you hurt your back. It broke your back picking up a peanut. (laughs) <laughs> yes and also just you know what situation would a Klingon be in that they'd have to pick up a peanut right that's that's what <laughs> see that makes really good humor for me because like when you for me when I begin to peel back when there's more jokes to be found by peeling the layer back even more like yeah to your point where would a Klingon be eating a peanut at like where would he even find a peanut <laughs> which is just funny in and of itself right and also, I couldn't see Klingon if they dropped a peanut being like, ooh, that's going to make a mess. I'm picking it up. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of another line I really liked, which is more of a sound. But uh, when they were entering first the, the training session and they were talking about how a Pandronian can separate their body into three separate parts. And um, one of the other crew members made this terrible joke. I thought I was a triple threat. And Manor just goes, ugh. <laughs> I really yeah. liked that. Just her disdain with the whole situation was made worse by the terrible joke yep. of her crewmate. I have to believe that um, in the end of the episode when Boimler is about to finish his drill he makes mention that I thought you'd appreciate it. I was actually kind of surprised you didn't mention this quote. He talks about how he beat the Borg Queen at chess. And teaching her empathy, teaching her empathy. I miss that. I miss the chess line. Yeah. He talks about how he he beat the he beat the Borg Queen at chess, and he taught her empathy. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. And he right. still didn't get hundred percent. But and that's and the thing is like, and it even like makes it even more absurd because like, he went that far to try to get hundred percent. Yes. So he taught he the Borg Queen. He probably taught the Borg Queen chess, beat her at chess, taught her empathy. Like he was just, I love that he was just thinking of all of these different ridiculous scenarios. Right. Maybe I'm supposed to redeem the Borg. Maybe I'm supposed to save them from their evil ways. Right. So I'll do that. Right. In and fact, he still, yeah. and he still doesn't get, still doesn't get 100%. Yeah.
So next week is the penultimate episode of the season. Already. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Very good. I love saying that word, penultimate. It is one of the greatest words. Yeah. One of the greatest and least uh, vital words. Do you think so? Yeah. I don't think that it's really needs to be used that much but people love to use it because it's such a great word so in that way it is the greatest because simply its greatness has elevated it not its usefulness its greatness it's one of those words that you when you say it it's a very it's an extremely like situational word like it's not a it's not a broad word that can apply to many things it means something very specific but yes because what it means is it's second to last. It's the one before the last, right? And people would normally probably just say, oh, it's the second to last something, right? But mm-hmm. penultimate. It sounds very impressive. Yes. It's one of my There's favorite another words. another word that's very similar in my mind in a way that it's way more impressive than it is. And it could just be used by a short, it could be replaced by a short phrase. But it's defenestration. Never heard that one. Defenestration yeah. means killing someone by chucking them out of a window. It's very specific, like yeah. penultimate. Yes. So you could just say, oh, they pushed them out of the window. So would you say death by defenestration? Yes. Or just they were defenestrated. That's a police report word. It's strange because it's a. it happened a lot in France. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe it's a French word, but in the religious wars and then the French Revolution, a lot of people were defenestrated. In Interesting. Interesting. A little it sounds bit of, uh, much worse. If you said someone was killed by defenestration, you'd think, like, ooh, that sounds like, I don't know, they ripped out their guts or, you know, cut their body into bits while they were still alive. But no, they just pushed them out a window. A little bit of an education for our listeners on our 100th episode. Yes. Yeah. Two great words. Defenestration. Mm. Penultimate. Both with many syllables. Very. But very good. So we'll be back next week to discuss the penultimate episode. Assuming I don't defenestrate him before then. But I wouldn't do that. Good. Unless well, it was a simulation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So with that, thanks for listening, everybody, and peace out. Have fun, everybody.